Okay. We're doing now Tuesday's portion of Parshas Pinchas, of which we begin by speaking about how the land will be divided. God spoke to Moses saying, that is in chapter 26, verse 52, to thee shall the land be divided as an inheritance according to the number of names. And it speaks of this idea, the specification here, according to Rashi, is these people that are currently 20 and above. If anyone at this point, this is there right before entering the land of Israel, this is the 40, end of the 40th year in the desert. So if at this point you have someone who's 19, he's not part of the count. But Jesus is not going to get land, even though there's seven years of conquest and seven years of division before the Jews settle down. So this 19-year-old is going to be 33, and the land is completely divided. But it doesn't make a difference. To these people, the ones that are currently 20, that are currently in this census count, they are the only ones that get this portion of land. To the tribe of many, you shall increase its inheritance. The tribe of few, you shall lessen its inheritance. Each one according to his count of one shall his inheritance be given. The Rosh explains that each tribe, if the tribe was normal, numerous, it had a larger portion. So the portions were not equal. They were all based on the population of the tribe, even though they were divided according to lottery. So there were many levels of divisions going on. So first, they're looking at the census count, so to speak. And for each tribe, based on its population, as I say, determine the area of land, not that it was literally in terms of space, because also they evaluated based on the quality of the land. So they had many surveyors working here. After they did this logically with a human understanding, they then turned this over to the lottery. And they had two, so to speak, bowls, containers, one having 12 pieces of whatever it was written on. Each one, you know, written, taking, saying the name of one of the tribes. And the second container had the 12 portions that they divided according to what was rational to them. And then this is already, of course, after the passing of Aharon. So the priest at this point, the high priest is Elazar. So he was wearing the Haitian, the, the Urim Batumim. And with a divine spirit, Elazar, the Kohen Gadol, would say, if such and such a tribe comes up through the lottery, then such and such a demarcation of land will come up. And then we would have the leader, the prince of each tribe, who's putting his hand into one of the containers and pulls out a, a, a ticket. And he puts his hand in the other container and pulls out a different ticket. The one that has the names of all the tribe, each time the prince is pulling up the name of his own tribe. Another sign here of this being all a godly process. And the piece of land that he pulls up is truly the piece of land that originally, through intellectual reasoning, was given as per the population of his tribe, which is the same piece of land that Elazar, the high priest, has described through the power of God. And this is the same piece that is now in the hand of the prince of this tribe who's supposed to get this piece. And then, 
as a further layer after all of these layers expressing how godly this whole division is, the lot itself would talk. This lottery would shout and say, I, the lot, came out for such and such a boundary, for such and such a tribe. So we see here layers and layers showing the Jews in absolute terms this is all from God. Only by lot shall the land be divided according to the names of their father's tribe shall they inherit. So why does it say according to the name of their father's tribe? So something here was very unusual in this division of land, different than all the inheritance. How is it divided that's different? But this point, let's say, the easiest way to think of the example is Rashi explains. Let's say there were two brothers that went out of Egypt and they had sons who now are alive 40 years later, 20 plus, because you only, it only counts if you're at least 20 at this point, who are about to enter the land. One, let's say, one, the first son had one child, one male. The girls don't count in this division. And the second son had three. Okay, so at this point, there are four cousins, four male cousins. So therefore, since there's four of them, four males, 20 and above, they receive four portions. Now, that inheritance of four portions reverts to their grandfather, and then it's redivided equally, which means the grandfather had two sons. So one son gets two portions, 50%. The other son gets two portions, 50%. Now this portion comes down to the children. So the boy entering Israel, the only son of his father, he gets now two portions, not one, because it went back to his grandfather, got equally split between the children of his grandfather, his father and his uncle, each getting half. So his father and his uncle each got two portions based on their children, one having one and one having three. And now, so the son, that's the only son of that father, he gets two portions. Conversely, those three boys are now splitting among themselves not three portions, but two because their father also gets two portions. So now those two portions are divided among three people. So this is a very unusual inheritance where it's as if the dead are inheriting from the living. That's the example Rashi gave, which I think is pretty clear. Just to understand this again, taking it away from the example that Rashi gave, at this point, all males 20 and above are counted. Each person, so to speak, receiving one portion for one person. But then those portions go back to the grandparents, the generation that left Egypt. And based on that, the land is redivided, not based, not as per these people, but as if it was a lump inheritance of the grandfather. So then, based on how many sons the grandfather had, it, and then how many sons those people had, it would determine how much land each of these people are getting, which means like in the example Rasha gave, one person gets double what he should have, we would think, while the other three people each got a bit less, like a third less than what they should have, as we would understand it. So this very much shows this concept of how it's all by divine, it's all the lottery, because in the end, it doesn't seem that they're getting exactly what they deserve, so to speak. It's really 
going back to the grandfathers and how many sons the grandfather have, it's going to determine how much land they get. And the verse says, only by the lottery is the land divided. Now, only, ach, is an exclusionary term. So what's being excluded here? So Rashi says, Yoshua, Joshua, and Kalev are excluded because their land didn't come from the lottery. Both of them received specific cities according to God. It says that they received it through their father's tribe, so therefore converts and free slaves are excluded because both of them don't have this tribal affiliation. Next verse. According to the law, shall one's inheritance be divided between the many and the few. Now again, why does it say according to the law? Well, in Hebrew, it says al-pi hagairo, which I translated as according to. Al-pi is literally through the mouth of the lot. Because as we said, it's through the mouth of the lot, because the lot would speak and thus expressing the divine spirit, which is really dividing this land. So now, after we had all these verses concerning the division of the land, at this point now we're going on to the next topic, which is the count of the Levites. These are the counted ones of the Levite according to the families of Gershon, the Gershonite family of Kahas, the Kahasite family of Merari, the Merarite family. These are the Levite families. Now here we're going to list all of them. The Libni family, the Chavraini family, the Machli family, the Mushi family, the Karchi family, and Kahaz had Amram. So Rashi comments, as he explained earlier, that we have here missing a few families. Simi family, the Az-Ieli family, and some of the Yitzhari family. As Rashi explained previously, that at this point in the census, these Levite families no longer exist. The name of Amram's wife is Yochebed, the daughter of Levi, who she bore to Levi in Egypt, and she bore to Amram Aram, Moshe, Moses, and their sister Miriam. So why did it say whom she bore to Levi in Egypt? This is to emphasize that the birth took place in Egypt, but the conception did not. Just as Jacob's family entered inside the walls of the city, Levi's wife gave birth to to her, to Yochavet. And this actually, Yochavet, through this being born, just, just, just when they entered, as if they're still part of the journey going down to Egypt, which she was in a sense, all you know, for all of the time of her the pregnancy, her conception. So Yochebed, through her birth, completes the total of seventy. If you look at the count, when the members of Jacob's family are taken individually, you only find sixty-nine. But she's completing the seventy, as we always say, with seventy souls. Jews entered Egypt, so here she is a 70th soul being born literally as they just, just this, this moment enter Egypt. Okay, now we're continuing the 
lineage of Levi here. The Aaron were born, Nadavavavavu died when they brought an alien fire before God. Their counting ones were 23,000, every male from one month of age and up. They were not counted among the children of Israel, where inheritance was not given them among the children of Israel. That we're pointing out here that the general Israelite population was counted from the age of 20. As we said, at this point you're 19, you weren't part of the census, and you did not get the land, even though by the time the land was literally divided and people are like staking out their farms, you're definitely way over 20. It doesn't make a difference. At this point, you're not 20, and therefore you don't get the count. But if you are a Levite, from a month old, you get part of the count. Why are the Levites being counted from one month? So the verse is saying because they're not getting the inheritance. In other words, since by the rest of the Jewish people, the census is determining the inheritance, so you have to be 20 to get the inheritance. So the only 20-year-olds are going to be counted. But by the Levites, they didn't get a portion of the land anyway. So if we count them from one month, it's not disturbing the, the division of the land of Israel. It has nothing to do with it. None of these Levites are getting land. They're, they're God's portion. Their service of God is going to provide for them their income. So therefore, we might as well count them from, from age a month if, if we want to express that every single one is so valuable and so precious from one month old already, they deserve to be counted. These are the ones counted by Moses and Elijah the Kohen who counted the children of Israel on the plains of Moab by the Jordan near Jericho. And of these, there was no man of those counted by Moses and Aaron who counted the children of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. Now, the verse emphasized there was no man because there were many women because the reason there was no man was because of the decree that happened after the sin with the spies. But women didn't sin with the sin of the spies. They didn't say, we don't want to go to Israel. Only the men did. So therefore, only the men were struck by the punishment of the spies, which is why at this point you have no men from that generation, but you have plenty of women. Now, why are we going into this now to segue into the next discussion piece, which is going to be on the daughters of Tlafchad, we're making here a connection to show how the women love the land of Israel, and that's why the daughters of Tlafchad, loving the land of Israel, are demanding their father's inheritance. They're not doing it because of, of greed. They're doing it to perpetuate the name of their father and because they love the land. So God had said of them, now we're going back to the people that sinned with the spies, the men, for God has said of them, they shall surely die in the wilderness, and not a man was left of them except Caleb and Joshua, because they were the two people that were not in the sin of the spies, because they were the two righteous spies, so they were not struck by this degree. But every other male who was at least 20 at the time died in the desert. Okay, so now we're going to discuss the daughters of Tzlachat. The daughter of Tzlofchad, son of Hefer, son of Gilad, son of Machir, son of Menasha, the families of the son of Yosef drew near, and these are the names of his daughters, Machla, Noya, Chagla, Milka, and Sirtza. So here we have Tzlofchad, who of course we don't know who he is, his lineage being written all the way till Joseph. Why? Rashi says, because if the verse wants to allude to us, if someone is 
good or bad, and we don't know about his deeds, it's going to go back to an ancestor we do know. So the fact that his lineage goes all the way back to Joseph shows of his righteousness, because we know Joseph was so, so righteous. Conversely, if it was talking about someone wicked who's known to us, and then it lists a few of his ancestors, we'd say, wow, if this person is so wicked and all these first people are deliberately being put in this list, it means there's a whole chain of wickedness. But if it works for wickedness, it works for goodness. If in the chain there's a known person who's very famous and good in a positive way, sorry, famous in a positive way, through his goodness, then when his name is mentioned to this ancestor in the scriptures, it will be to imply how good this person is as well. So obviously from all of this, we know the goodness of Slavkot and of ultimately his daughters. Now this also connects to the idea of looking at the, the daughters of Slavkot. Why did they do what they did? Because to them the land was precious. So how does this relate to the lineage list? Because we're going to, we're stating their lineage all the way up to Joseph. So just as Joseph held the land was precious, and that's why he told his children, make sure to bury me in Egypt, so too these women held the land so precious, and that's why they demanded this inheritance. And they stood before Moses and before Elijah the Kohen, and before the leaders and the entire assembly at the entrance of the tent of meeting, saying, I'm sorry, I missed a Rashi. Previously, when it lists the names of the five daughters of Tlofchad, it gives one listing, and later, it's going to be a different list. Rashi explains that the reason why the lists are switching is teach us they were all of equal importance. And now these daughters are standing before Moses and before Elazar. So this is telling us that they only did this at the very end of the traveling in the desert, because that's why it's before Elazar, not before Aaron. Now, the verse is written a little funny because it seems to imply first they went to Moses before Moses, and then after that they went to Elazar. But that doesn't make sense because if Moses wouldn't know the law, surely Elazar, his student, wouldn't know the law. So Rashi gives two explanations. One is, well, the verse basically wants to say first they went to Elazar and he didn't know and then they went to Moses. But to be respectful to Moses over Elazar, it puts him first and then it writes Elazar. So you have to sort of transpose it in your brain cells. Another way of understanding it is, at this point, they're all sitting together in the study hall. Moses, Elazar, the sages, everyone's together discussing Torah. And these girls walk in. So what did they say? Our father died in the wilderness, but he was not among the assembly that was gathered, was gathering against God in the assembly of Korach. Rather, he died of his sin, and he had no son. So what point are they trying to raise by these words? So their point is they want to say he died because of his sin, not because of a sin which would be um, from those group who incited others to sin. Meaning, they're saying clearly, his death had nothing to do, he wasn't part of the group of Korah. And he wasn't part of, there's two different ways to understand these, these words of Rashi here, either the vaster group 
the assembly of those that supported Kairuch, or it could refer not to any direct port of Kairuch, but to the rest of the Jews who, after the Kairuch group was punished and died, came and, and turned on Moses like how could you kill out God's people. So he wasn't part of any of these people. He had nothing to do with any of this. Why did he die? He died from his own sin, not from any of these sins. Because if he had died from these sins, from Kairach and his group and his supporters and his you know, further distant supporters, those people didn't have a portion in the land. So if he was one of those people, either from Kairach or his supporters or anyone that caused others to sin, he wouldn't have a portion in the land. This whole thing's a moot point. But he didn't die for any of those sins. So therefore, even though he's dead, and even though he was dead because of a sin, his crime does not exclude him from having a portion of the land. So what was his crime? So Rashi gives two explanations. Either that he was the one, remember the incident of the woodchopper on the Sabbath who died for violating the Sabbath. So that has nothing to do with causing others to sin. So therefore, he didn't lose his portion of the land by his death. Or he was among those that pushed after the whole incident with the spies and the Jews said, oh, we don't want to go to Israel, we don't want to go to Israel. And then Moses got very angry and the name of God said, fine, you will not go. Your, your carcasses will die in the desert. And then the Jews were like, oh, oh, we're so sorry. We, we didn't really mean that. And we really do want to go to Israel. And Moses said, well, it's too late. And there was a group of Jews that pushed and they went anyway and they got killed out by the, by the Gentiles. So he was from that group. So again, that group didn't cause others to sin. That group didn't sin in such a fashion that they don't deserve a portion of the land. So here, for, for either one of these two crimes, his portion of the land shouldn't be forfeited. But unlike, I guess, every other Jew who at some point died in the desert, he has no sons. So therefore, if he has his portion of the land, which he should not receive, and we as his daughters should receive it. Why should the name of our father be omitted from among his family because he had no son? Give us a possession among our father's brothers. So they're saying, if we're standing in the place of a son, we should have this inheritance. And if you're saying, no, you're women, so you're not considered children in regarding to the laws of inheritance, so that would mean, so to speak, our mother has no children. Well, if she has no children, then she should do yibum. She should go through a marriage to a brother-in-law to have a child, that that child would be spiritually carrying on our father's name, that boy, and then he would receive our father's inheritance. And we're making this claim because he had no son. Obviously, if he had a son, we're not claiming everything. They, they were wise enough to understand that if there's a son, the women don't inherit. But if there's no son, they're saying, then the woman should. And Moses brought their case before God. So Rashi says, gives two explanations here. Obviously, Moses bringing their case before God means Moses didn't know the answer. So one is saying this is a punishment. Since many years earlier, he had said when they were talking about the judges and the whole system of how the Jewish people were judged, he said, oh, if something's difficult, bring it to me. Oh, really? You, you think you can know all difficult? Okay, so here he didn't know the law. Or no, I mean, Moses could have been taught this portion of Torah, the same way he's taught every other portion of Torah. 
But this was specifically to give merit to the daughters of Tzlofcha that they cared so much about the land of Israel and they were so righteous and holy and they pushed to get this land. So therefore to give them this honor that this portion of this law should be written through them.